And so we've come to adore him. We've come to listen uh, in spoken word and song sung to what it is that he has done for us. But the question is, what exactly are we adoring him for? Like what exactly did he do that he came to do that we are listening for? Again, even as we said, if the whole church and God thing isn't typically your thing or it's so much your thing that uh, it's become kind of the same old, same old to you, that we recognize that across the gamut, uh, I would say, I would suspect that most of us in the room, even if you're kind of new to the whole thing, have a decent idea of how the whole Christmas story took place according uh, to the Bible, even if the Bible is something that's new to you. Uh, And just to kind of share with you, kind of maybe zooming out a little bit, like what the Bible is and how the Christmas story fits into it. Uh, Interestingly, the the word Bible, it actually literally means book. And it's a book that's actually a collection of 66 books that make up the Bible that actually it's all about Jesus. You've got 39 books that are what's called the Old Testament. And All of that points to and foretells about the coming of Jesus. And then from there, you have the New Testament, which has within it, uh, really, so everything's before Jesus in the Old Testament, and then you have Jesus, and then everything after Jesus is the New Testament. And so with that, you have the first four books of the New Testament are what uh, you might call biographies of Jesus, or what we call the Gospels, the Gospels of Jesus that talk about the Christmas story, his life, his ministry, and also his death and his resurrection. And then from there, the rest of the New Testament is really written to explain, okay, from there, how do we do this whole, as we said, church and God thing? Like, how is that supposed to play out? And so in the middle, we've got these biographies. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew and Luke, what they do is they tell us what happened at Christmas. They tell us uh, the story that many of us are familiar with, that Jesus, as the Son of God, was placed in the womb of the Virgin Mary, that shepherds were out watching their flocks by night, and then an angel like bursts through the sky and says, hey, there's going to be this really important baby that's born, and it's going to take place in the city of David, the town of David, Bethlehem, where you'll find Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger. And so We know what happened at Christmas because of the Gospels, the biographies of Matthew and Luke. But the deeper question, you could say the question beneath the question of, you know, what happened at Christmas, really, that I would want to know is, like, why did what happened happen? Like, why did Christmas happen? And what's interesting is that the Gospel of John actually gives us that answer. It doesn't talk about what happened at Christmas. The Gospel of John talks about why Christmas happened. And I could go into great detail, explain it, but I actually encourage you maybe even this week, you could read the Gospel of John yourself to see why Christmas happened. Uh, It could be like a pre-New Year's resolution. You could call your New Year's resolution, be done by January 1. If you're like, you know, kind of like an anti-procrastinator thing, it might be a good thing for you to do this week. But if I had to boil down in our time together, our limited time, just one piece of what John points to as to why Christmas happened. If I had to take it down to just one verse, one sentence, I would choose what is arguably the most popular, most well-known verse, actually in all 66 books of the Bible. You may be familiar with it. It's John 3.16. It tells us specifically why Christmas happened. And John says it this way. It says, for God so loved, he's actually quoting Jesus, for God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And so we know what happened. We know about the angels and the shepherds and the baby Jesus in a manger. But why did it happen? Well, it says, because God so loved. It was because of love that Christmas happened. It was because of love that God sent his son Jesus. It's because of love. That is the answer. And honestly, even as I say that, I feel like that answer, like love is the answer, is almost as unhelpful as it is supposedly helpful. Because the question is, you know, what do I mean by that? Well, I would ask you this, like, what do you mean by the word love? I mean, if we think about it, we've asked a lot of this little four-letter word uh, when it comes to the work we've asked it to do for us in the world. I mean, it describes everything from, you know, just a feeling of happiness to describing like the ultimate like, like affection and commitment from one person to another. I mean, think about it. people fall in love and then commit to love each other in marriage. Yet at the same time, kiddos in the room, I suspect that you're hoping to open something here very soon that you're going to love. And then even for me, uh, I know what I'm going to do after uh, we are gathered here today is I'm going to go enjoy and eat me some country ham, <laughs> which I love. Oh, speak of that. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. Now, every year at Christmas... My in-laws from Kentucky, they bring up for us to graze on all during their visit, country ham. And if you're unfamiliar with what country ham is, it's actually a ham that is, it actually, the, uh, the concept hails from Kentucky. It's actually, there's city ham, which is what we're used to eating, then there's country ham. And the difference is, is that country ham is literally soaked in a bucket of salt for up to 40 days and 40 nights, which is a very spiritual number, so I feel really good about that. <laughs> And then it is thinly sliced and served to perfection. And I would eat it now, but again, it's so salty, I don't even think I'd be able to finish talking here. Do you think I can do that? I don't know, we'll just, it's good. Okay. So I, I love country ham. That one's gonna be sitting out for a while, even though it's really salty, I might go for a different one uh, here later. But here's the reality. We use that same word, love, but does God so love us, so love the world, the same way that I you know, love country ham? Let's hope not. Let's, let's hope there is a difference between the love of God and the way I love country ham or kiddos, the way you will love your presence. And so the question remains, even though that love is the answer for why Christmas happened, what does it mean by God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have a new and eternal life. Well, there's actually another word in the Bible that shows us exactly what God means by I so loved. And, and I would argue it is the single most important word when it comes to describing not what happened, but why Christmas happened. I would even actually make a play that this word is the single most important word in all of the Christian faith. That this word, uh, like me, you probably spent the majority of your life overlooking it, underestimating it, underappreciating this little word. And this word that defines the love of God, it is not like, it's not like another name for God. 
It's not even a noun that like, could like, be a, like who God is in that sense. It's actually not even a verb. Like it doesn't even describe what God does. But no, this clarifying, defining the love of God word is actually, of all things, a preposition. A preposition. Now, my wife is a third grade teacher. So what I know is that we all, by the third grade, learn what a preposition is. And so if you are here in the room and you are not yet in the third grade, well, congratulations, you're off the hook. You get a homework pass for today. You don't have to worry about it. But for those of you who have been to the third grade and you've got that look like, I'm not sure I remember what a preposition actually is. Judging from the looks around the room, you're in good company. Uh, so, and then for those of you who like are students and you're here today, you're like, this is like the worst Christmas sermon ever. Does this guy know the rules? Like you don't talk about grammar and prepositions during Christmas break. Like it's just, it's just off the table. So I get it, hang with me. Let me share with you why my third grade teacher, Mrs. Morgan, and why your third grade teacher, whoever he or she was, told you and taught you what a preposition is. It was for a reason, for a purpose, and that purpose is this. A preposition, it describes the relationship between things. That's what a preposition does. It describes the relationship between things. For example, like in spatial terms, like the drums are behind me. Or here today, you are perhaps sitting beside your annoying little brother. Okay, so like spatial term. I just got I saw a point. All right. Or it also can describe what you might call temporal things, like when it comes to time. Uh, like, you know, you walked into the room after getting hopefully some free hot chocolate out of the cafe. Uh, or, or like me, growing up, you know, you had to get through this church service before you get to go and open presents. And so that's what prepositions do. They describe the relationship between things. And today, as I think about, again, that question actually I shared with you at the beginning, this idea that if my 18-year-old son was giving the whole church and God thing just one last shot, or maybe, again, maybe you're here and this is the only shot you're gonna give it for another year, or maybe you're here just a few seats down from a grandmother who's been praying for you that you would give this whole church and God thing one more chance and that you're here at her invitation to hear about the love of God and I had to give this whole God thing down to just a single idea, even a single word, a word that defines God, a word that defines the love of God, a word that would have to boil it all down. That word is not a name, not a noun, not a verb. That preposition is the simple little word with, with, W-I-T-H. It's a humble word, yet a powerful word. And as, after you, as you hear that, you're, you're maybe like, kind of like, eh, I don't know, I don't know about that. Um, well, let me pose a few questions to you. Have you ever once in your life have you ever once in your life wanted to be with someone so intensely that it actually preoccupied your every waking moment? I bet you have. Or maybe perhaps in your life, have you ever suffered the isolation, the, the pain of loss, of betrayal, of rejection, or even grief, and found yourself so profoundly grateful because someone was willing to be with you in all of it. 
I hope you have. Or have you ever come to find yourself just so differently because you discovered someone who appreciated being with you just for who you were. And it was something about the way that they saw you that you've never seen in yourself that you were just profoundly thankful for that person. Well, again, I I hope that you have. And and really, these are just a few examples. Just a few examples of the life-changing power of with. And so where does this define, then, the love of God? How does the love of God boil down to this Little preposition, with. Well, right here, Christmas. This moment in history, this moment in time that's changed the lives of humans throughout all of human history, the moment that we call Christmas, the moment that the Gospel of John uh, points to when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to be with us. It's that moment in Matthew where the Gospel writer says, behold, The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so come and listen. Come and listen to what he has done for you, all that he has done to be with you, not just as displayed in the Gospels, but in all 66 books of the Bible. They point to and continue to point to Jesus. Earlier in the Bible, we see in Psalm 23, it says, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. And then the gospel writer, John, at the end of the New Testament, at the end of the Bible, he declares in 1 John, he says it this way, he says, we proclaim to you that which we have seen and heard. And so John's like, I've been with Jesus. I've seen him, I've heard him, I've touched him. And so with that, we have, excuse me, that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, what John is saying here is like, when it comes to the whole church and God thing, like this is how the whole church and God thing works. It's all about having a relationship or fellowship with others that encourage and grow your ultimate relationship with God. And he goes on to say, he says, when this happens, when I write this to you, when I communicate this to you, when I share this, it says it makes our joy complete. To write this to you, to share this message of love, to share this message of with with you, completes the joy of Christmas come. The true joy of love through God come to be with you. Or as the angels said to the shepherds in Luke chapter two, verse 10, to quote them, I bring you, he says, they say, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And so with that in mind, would you stand and join with me by responding in song and thanks to God for the night that the joy of Jesus came to us. Let's respond together. Silent night, Oh.
So here's the thing. If you've done this Christmas service thing before, it's not uncommon for that to conclude with this moment, this kind of somber and soft, kind of silent, all is quiet, all is quaint moment. But when I think about the angel's light, like blasting through the sky to announce that God has come to be with us. In fact, there's another verse in that song we just sang that says that the angels literally quaked at what took place. Like it would have been anything but silent, calm, quiet, and quaint. It would have been like the 4th of July. It would have been like fireworks would have been big and loud and bright because the good news of God's love has come to be with us. And it is to be a joyous, a great joy reality for all of us, for all people, and that's you and me. And so here today, in lieu of, you could say, a quiet candle, we're actually gonna send you out with the joy of a firework in your hand. Uh, a sparkler, literally, where actually we had great plans uh, with luminaries that were gonna be all around the church parking lot, but we discovered that there's something about 46 mile an hour winds and little luminaries that just don't go well together. So uh, no worries, that's not really the point. The point really is for you to take this as the reminder that the joy like a life-changing reality of what God does to grow you towards him was made possible, completed in the coming of Jesus. Should you choose to place your faith in that Jesus? As it says in John 3, 16, to believe in him that you might not perish. In other words, that you wouldn't spend this life and eternity separated from him, but that you would choose a new life, eternal life, a life of joy that comes from a with God life, the love of God demonstrated in his with us. And so with this in mind, I just want to pray for all of us that as we've come, that as we've listened, that a seed has been planted and watered, that again, it's only God that does the growing. And so that's up to you and up to him together. And so that's where prayer comes in. It's where we open ourselves up to see what God wants to do, what only God can do that we can't. And so with that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to get past the low and no expectations for just another service on another Christmas. And we want to open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you want to do. And so we know that's only you that grows hearts towards you. And so right now in this moment, we just, wherever we're at on that spectrum, whether we're here week in and week out, and that's the problem, or not being here is the hurdle we have to get over. That in this moment, we are here 
and we wanna open ourselves up to what you have to say to us. And so God, would you lead each of us in this moment right now as to what our next step is with you. And fathers, we consider that the implications of your son in love to be with us now in our life, that we would, you could say, help us to close the gap between this moment, maybe a little conviction, and the action that you want us to take as we leave, that we wouldn't just move on by. We need your help with that. That's why we pray, because it's you that does that work in us. And so we ask that that would be the case, that we would respond to the fact that you came to be with us, that we would live differently in light of the fact that we can now live a life with you, a new life, as Jesus said, life and life to the full, John 10.10. It's in Jesus' name that we pray that for all of us. Amen.